Will you clap now? You should clap when I'm done. You'll see. All right. My name is Pat Knowlton. That's what Mama calls me. Um, I don't make anybody call me doctor except my brothers. And that's just to be honorary. And, and, and let me be honest with you all. Doctor is actually a step down. People think a terminal degree. That's amazing. But see, before my wife had to call me master. Now she just has to call me doctor. So, you know, it's kind of a step down. So it's not a big deal. Anyway, thank you all for having me today. I need to warn you that they searched high and low to fill this pulpit and couldn't. And so in desperation, they called my brother. Not me. They called my brother. And they said, can you help us? And he said, well, there's this one guy I know, but he's not really very good. And you can call him and see if he's available. And so I'm here. So... If I'd known, Matt, you were going to be out of the hospital, I'd have just put a chair up here and let you go for it. It's all right. So, well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to, as we said before, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. What would you think of a preacher who preached in his same church his whole life and had zero converts? Not one baptism his entire ministry. What would you think about? Would you look at his resume if your church was empty and go, 47 years in the same church and not one baptism? What would you think about that preacher? You'd think, well, he must not be very good, right? Not one single baptism. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter calls Noah a preacher. Uh, yeah, Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. He spent his entire life preaching righteousness. And how many people got on the boat with him? Just his family. No converts. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But I want you to remember, the important thing to remember today is it's not about what you do. It's about obeying. We get busy doing church stuff and we forget To bring God along with us. And we'll talk about that. So let's read this again. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the records of the generation of Noah. And Noah was three things. A righteous man, blameless in his time. And he walked with God. Help me understand that first phrase. Noah was what? A righteous man. But doesn't Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us there were four righteous people. Noah was one. John the Baptist's parents, both of them, were were declared righteous. And so was Jesus' stepfather. In Matthew chapter 1, and Joseph, being a righteous man, sought to put Mary away privately. So help me understand what Paul's saying. If there's no none righteous, no, not one, why does the Bible say there were at least four? Well, let me explain to you. Paul is quoting out of Gen, uh, Psalm 42, and his argument is this. According to the law, no one will be declared righteous. You can't keep the rules well enough to be declared righteous. That's Romans 3.19. But he goes on in Romans 3.20 and 21. He says, but now apart from the law, there is a righteousness to which the law and the prophets testify And this righteousness comes by faith to all who believe. 
So here's Noah minding his own business in a time that wasn't very good. Look back in chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Does that sound familiar? Okay, don't, don't do this. Don't go, yeah, we live in a terrible time. It's always been a terrible time. Okay? Now, now everybody look at me. I, I, I love church people because we don't really understand what's going on. All right. I have a dog, and he's half chihuahua and half stupid. Okay? And, and I, love my, I love my little dog. And at about 4.30 every day, the post lady comes by to put our mail in our mailbox. And what does my dog do? Why? Why does my dog bark? What? Who? Somebody said it. Because he's a dog. What do dogs do? How foolish would it be of me to stand up in my house and go, You stupid dog, stop barking! And he looks around and looks at me like Balaam's donkey. He goes, You want me to meow? What? We look at the world and they're lost and they don't have Christ. And the only fruit that they can produce is the fruit of lostness. They don't have any choice. And so when we look at the world and we see them only having evil thoughts in their hearts, why can't they do better? Because they can only bark. It's their nature. And until God changes their nature, they can't do anything different. So Noah's living in a generation just like ours. And just like every other generation that's been on the face of the earth. Because doesn't King Solomon say there's nothing new under the sun? If they weren't having all of those terrible things that we see in the news today, back in the old days, then why did God make laws against them? Because they were doing them too. Lost people do lost people things and they don't change. And yet Noah is declared righteous in his generation. So his society was horrible. What about his family? Do you know anything about his family? Who was Noah's great-grandpa? Enoch. You remember Enoch? Enoch and God were out one day having a good conversation and God looked at Enoch and said, hey, you want to come home for dinner? And Enoch said, that'd be great. And he walked with God and what does the Bible say? He was not. And what was Enoch's wife doing that night? Where is that man? I swear I've had dinner on the table for 30 minutes and he's not here. Where is that man? But who was Enoch's son? Methuselah. What do you know about Methuselah? He lived to be 969 years old. He was the oldest man in the Bible. I got that trivia down. Hey, you win. So you start in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 with the, the timeline. And you put down year zero and then you start adding things up. Abraham, Seth, you go down the line. You know what year Methuselah died in? He died in the year of the flood. The exact year of the flood. And you know who Noah's dad was? His name was Lamech. He died five years before the flood. And how long did Noah preach? About a hundred years. So despite the corruption of his society and despite the corruption within his family, he was still righteous. Because it had nothing to do with his society and very little to do with his family and everything to do with his relationship with God. 
So when we start looking around at the world and we go, well, the world's pulling people away. No, they're not. People are going where they want to go. Are we representing Christ in such a way that they want to come to him? What is Jesus' view of evangelism? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Are we living that Christian life? Well, we think to ourselves, how? I can't. I'm not righteous. A couple of things. What did I just read in Romans 3.21? He says, now, apart from the law, there is a righteousness to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness comes how? By faith to all who believe. Now, what is faith? I know. We're, going to talk, we're, we're all going to quote Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Faith is the substance hoped for and things not seen, right? No. Faith is a belief that's so strong it motivates you to action. Think about a fisherman. You ever seen a fly fisherman? Does he catch a fish on every cast? No. Why does he keep casting? Because he believes he's going to catch a fish on every cast. That's faith. What does your faith motivate you to do? Well, I go to church. <laughs> Great. What else? See, this, this faith, this righteousness comes by faith. Hey, did you ever read 2 Corinthians 5.21? We know the first part of it. it. said, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Do you know what comes after the so that? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God did that to us. The faith that we display towards God, He imputes righteousness to us. He says, this is what I declare you to be. Righteous. So now if I were to stand up here in this pulpit right now, and I'd say, how many of you are righteous? Raise your hand. Every one of you that's entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ needs to raise your hand. And you go, but you don't know me, Brother Pat. Yeah, and you don't know me either. (laughs) She laughed because she knows me. One of, the, one of the, the great ironies of my life is that I am now the dean of a summer camp. You know what that means? The dean of men of a summer camp. You know what that means? I'm the policeman of 400 third through sixth graders. You know what happened to me my last summer at summer camp? I got kicked out of two of them in one summer. Is that not irony? I wasn't a Christian, but I was still going to church camp because that's what you did back then. See, I know who I am. I know what I am. And I see all my warts and my scratches and everything else. But what does God see when he declares me to be righteous? He sees his righteousness in me. And I'm telling you this morning, just as God saw Noah as righteous and declared him to be righteous, he looks at his children through the blood of Jesus Christ and he says, this is what I declare you to be. Accept that truth in your life. And stop listening to Satan say, you're not worthy and you're not righteous. Because what you're doing at that point is just discounting the blood of Jesus. Now, that's the de- declaration of righteousness. What about the practice of righteousness? You all have your Bibles with me. I want you to turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. I want you to turn with me so you can see it for yourself. 1 John, it's way in the back. Just before Revelation, chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. It 
So what do I do every day now that God has declared me to be righteous? How do I live my life? Well, here's what he says. Little children, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is what? What does it say? Is righteous how? Just as he is. Huh. Righteous. That's an interesting statement. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. And the devil is sin from the beginning. Son of God has appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So what is righteousness? We need to know what that is. It's doing the right thing for the right reason. I live out in the middle of nowhere. How many of you live there? Okay. I live so far out in the middle of nowhere, we don't have cell service. You have to go out into the woods, through the woods, into the sticks, through the sticks, into the boondocks, and then you get to my house at the end of that road. It's the truth. We live in the middle of nowhere. Out there, there are stop signs. Now, if you were going to describe me, and my brothers struggle with this, I have four degrees and nine guns. Let that settle. I have four degrees after high school and nine guns. My brothers call me an educated redneck. What do rednecks teach you about stop signs? If they have a white line around the outside of them, they're optional. Have you ever heard that? That's because you're not a redneck. <laughs> All the rednecks in here going, yeah, I've heard that before. So it's, it would be easy for me just to drive down that road, and there's nobody out there, hardly ever. You know, I might scare a cow or something if I just drove through the stop sign. But what does stopping at the stop sign in the middle of nothing, nowhere, have to do with righteousness? Because Romans 13 tells me that I have to obey those that are in authority over me. And God says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. But if you're willing to cut corners in the little things, you're going to be willing to cut corners in the bigger things. So when I talk about practicing righteousness, I'm not talking about walking around with your Bible and making sure you witness every day. I'm talking about making sure you're obedient to God every time you take a breath. What did God call Noah to do? Build a boat. A big boat. And every day he had to go out and cut timbers down or shape timbers or put them together. And every day he had to do it right. God could have just said, here's a boat. But he didn't. He said, I'm giving you a job. Do it right. You have to practice your righteousness. When you go to work, when you go to school, you have to be right all of the time. Does that happen? No, that's called sin. And when we confess our sin, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But it's through the power of God that we get to practice this righteousness that he's already put in us. We get to be different. We get to be the light in the darkness. We get to lift Jesus up that draws men to him. But we have to practice that. We have to make it an effort on our part to do that. So Noah was declared righteous. The second thing that we see there in verse 9, 
of, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 9 of chapter 6, as that he was blameless. Do you know what that means, blameless? This word in the Hebrew, if you care, I know you all speak Hebrew to each other all the time, is tamim. And it's the words that were used of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. What kind of sheep were you supposed to bring before God? One without spot or defect. One that was blameless, perfect. Noah was declared blameless in his time. That's what the Bible says. What about you? Anybody know what Ephesians 1.4 says? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It's always hard for me to stand up when I hear that. I'm not blameless, are you? I am because of the blood of Jesus. Where does Satan spend his time? According to scripture, where does Satan spend his time? Go to Revelation chapter 10. And then go over to chapter 12. I just want to see if you can find chapter 10. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 10. Verse, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Wow. You can just turn the recording off now. It's, it's all right. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God. What? Where does Satan spend his time? He's not messing with me. He's standing in the throne room of God accusing me. He's not tempting me. He's standing in the throne room of God telling God how unworthy I am to be even be counted as one of his children. That's what Satan means. Satan means accuser. What's his real name? Lucifer, son of the dawn. He stands in heaven pointing out every one of my defects to the living God. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? Until you read the rest of Scripture. Then you go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But... If anyone sins, we have an advocate or a paraclete with the Father. And the word, this word means the one who walks alongside. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. What, how many of you have word, used that word propitiation in the last year? Yeah, not me. <laughs> I got one hand back there. The idea is it takes away the wrath or the anger of God. Jesus is the one who takes away the wrath of God from us. For our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. So Satan stands before God and he says, look, Pat is a horrible person. He says all kinds of terrible things about me. And you know what? They're all true. But what does Jesus do? He stands up and he says, yeah, but I paid for that. You can't charge him for something that I've already paid for. 
And because of that, there is no blame. And if there is no blame, what am I? This is not hard. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. So when I stand before God, I don't have to stand there like this. I'm in the principal's office again. I'm in trouble. I don't even want to talk to you. I'm so embarrassed. No, I can walk up to him and say, thank you. I know I'm messed up and I'm sorry. And we can talk about confession in another sermon or whatever. But the answer is, I know what you did for me. And I will acknowledge that truth. That you made me blameless before God. And there is no wrath left to be put on me because you are the one who took the wrath for me. Everybody just go, wow. That's a religious word. You can say that in church. Isn't that amazing? Do you not understand what God did to you? First of all, He made you righteous. And then He took all your blame away and put it on His Son. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. That thing that God hates. So that we might become the righteousness of God. And now He stands before God while Satan's accusing you and He says, I paid for that. I've destroyed the works of the devil. You have no stay here. Get out of this court, Satan. This boy is blameless before me. Thank you, Jesus. And finally, and this is the hardest one. So Noah was righteous. He was blameless. And what was the last one? He what? He walked with God. What does that mean? I have a thousand stories. One of my favorite stories is a a young man named Mike. Now, Mike was about 10, and this happened several years ago. I was still living in Colorado. I ministered up there in the mountains for a while, for a long time. And Mike was from Gilmer, Texas. If anybody you know where that is, up in the north, northeast part of the state, you all know where Gilmer is. And his family was going to be part of a, a large uh, a mission trip from Gilmer to Creed, Colorado. They were going to come up and do a lot of stuff up there. And the night before they were to leave on the mission trip, his dad walked up to his mom and he said, I'm done, I quit, I'm leaving, and walked out on him. And she called the pastor and said, what do I do? And he said, come on the mission trip. And so she did, and she brought Mike with him. And this little boy was broken, just destroyed. As you can imagine, a 10-year-old boy might be. And so we're trying to include him in stuff, and he's angry, and he's crying, and all of the things, the emotion up, emotional upheaval. And on, 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 on Wednesday, I had to go 20 miles south of our town to go to another town. I had to go 20 miles south of town to South Fork to go to another hardware store because they didn't have stuff. And I looked at Mike's mom and I said, can I take Mike with me? And she goes, sure. And so I got Mike in my little truck and I put him in the front seat and I said, okay, Mike. Everybody's telling you it's not your fault. And I want you to know that God still loves you. 
And so we were having this conversation. I said, okay, if there's one thing you want right now for God to show you that he still loves you, you tell me what that is. And you know how 10-year-old boys are? I'm over here and he's, I want to see a bear. I'm sorry, what was that? I want to see a bear. You want to see a bear? Sure. Yeah. So I prayed right there in the truck. I said, I said, Mike, I said, listen, let's ask God for a bear. He was like, God doesn't get bears. So we prayed for a bear. Going south out of town. And nine miles out of town, there's this bend in the road, a really sharp 90-degree bend, a place called Cottonwood Cove. And there's an old rail line that runs parallel to the road. And we get to that point, and there's not only a bear there, there's a bear standing up on its hind legs, 50 yards from the road, looking at the road. I pulled the truck over. Mike's kind of moving over in the cab, you know. And I said, this is not about you. And you need to understand that God still loves you. Your dad is making a choice that God doesn't like. But this is not about you. That boy changed just like that. How did that happen? It comes from walking with God. What does that look like? Most of us have business appointments with God. We get up in the morning, we brew our coffee, we get out our list. Okay, Lord, I have, I have stuff I need you to do. Get your list done. Here's the list. And then 10 minutes later, you're done talking to him and you go on with the rest of your day. How many of you breathe God? I don't have a prayer list anymore. People say, well, what about all the sick people? God knows they're sick. And he's more worried about them than you are. Well, he's not worried because he knows the outcome. What about the lost people? He knows who they are, and he loves them more than you do. Even if they're your own children or your grandchildren. He loves them more than you do. I just need to be ready when he proposes the, opens the opportunity for me to tell them about Jesus. And gives me the opportunity to show them the righteousness of God all the time. Yesterday, Apollo and I, my 11-year-old grandson, were going to the dump. And somebody else had been driving down the road to the dump. And one of their bags came out of the back of their truck. What is the right thing to do? Drive around it and keep going. No, you pull over the side of the road, make traffic stop, pick the bag up and put it in the back of your truck. You do the right thing for the right reason because that's righteousness in action. And my grandson goes, what did you do that for? I said, because it's the right thing to do. And God tells me that I have to act the righteousness that he gave me. There's witnessing to an 11-year-old boy seeing a person walk in the power of God. What does it mean to walk with God? My brothers hate to take me fishing. Because I catch fish. And they're like, why do you catch so many fish? I said, because I ask God for fish. Don't you ask God for fish? And they laugh about it because I don't eat fish. I don't eat nothing that swims in its own bathroom. That ain't going to happen for me. Just saying. What does it mean to walk with God? What about Noah? What did Noah do every day? He cut down trees. He, he shaped timbers into wood. I mean, he shaped wood into timbers. He put them together. He pitched it with pitch. He built rooms and, ta- and, and decks 
for a hundred years. And every time somebody asked him, have you lost your mind? He said, the world's coming to an end. (laughs) You're not one of those Fox News watching into the world kooks, are you? Come on. What have you lost your mind? Nope, God told me the world's coming to an end. Hey, Lamech, you talking to your son lately? I know. He's out of it. Don't don't ask me. Go talk to his grandpa. For a hundred years he heard that. And you know what he did? He kept cutting down trees and shaping timbers and building a boat and being faithful to God because that's what God told him to do. And the world was saved because he did that. You are here because he obeyed God. What does it look like to walk with God in your life? I have a list of verses in my, my mind and, uh, you know, ha- like, you know, th- there's 10 of them that are really scary to me. 10 passages in the New Testament just scare the life out of me. And one of them is found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we'll finish with this. Verses 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, Not everybody who declares that I'm their Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at what he says. And the Greek reads this way. But only he who is doing the will of my Father will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many mighty miracles? But he will say, he will tell them plainly, depart from me who who work iniquity or you who are lawless, for I never knew you. Now, what does that mean? I want you to think about these people from your perspective. If you saw a great preacher, a great prophet standing in a in a, in a stadium full of people and declaring the good news of God and, and, and the aisles were full and the people were coming down and repentant, repentance, wouldn't you say that is a great man of God? If you saw someone who could walk up to a, demo, a demoniac and just speak to the demon and the demon comes out shrieking, wouldn't you declare them to be a great man of God? Or a person who walked into a hospital and got on the intercom and said, All right, everybody, get up. You're all well. Go home. And they all got better and went home. Wouldn't you declare them a great man of God? And yet, what does God say? Two things. One, you weren't doing it in my will. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who is doing the will of my Father will enter. And the second thing he says at the end of verse 23 And I will declare to them, I never knew you. When was the last time you just had a cup of coffee with God? No agenda. No condemnation that you're feeling within yourself. That's not scriptural. Romans 8.1. For there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No no wanting to get something from God. Here's my to-do list, God. Just a cup of coffee. Sure is a beautiful morning, Lord. How'd you paint those birds that color? Have you noticed the flowers in the field today? 
the yellow ones and the red ones. We noticed them when we were coming down. Have you ever noticed that God's colors don't clash? Do you know why I wear blue jeans? This is the only color that goes with every other color on the face of the earth. And I don't have to ask my wife, does this match? I wear these because it matches everything. Okay? I can't match colors. I have about seven colors in my palette. But God has millions, and they don't clash. You can put an orange flower and a red flower next to each other. They don't clash. You ever sat there and go, that is so cool. I was swimming one day in the ocean, about 30 feet underwater. Yes, I'm scuba certified. I know it's weird, but I do it. And, and I'm swimming along, and I had this thing on my bucket list to see a barracuda. I've seen sharks. I grew up in the Gulf Coast. I've seen sharks my whole life. It's no big deal. But I've never seen a, a barracuda up close. And I, I'm swimming along, and over here on, on my right, there's this, 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 this herd of fish. I know it's a school, but it's a herd of fish. And it swam up, and they were purple. I mean, I've never seen purple fish. I didn't even know God made purple fish. Did you know that? I don't know what they were. They were purple. And there was about 150 of them. They're all about that big. And so here's all these purple fish. It caught my attention. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Look at that guy. That's neat. And all of a sudden, I, I catch this movement, just a little slight movement out of left. And I look over here. And there's a barracuda right here. I'm not kidding. He's right here. And he's going. And I'm going. And I'm thinking to myself, God, this is cool. I'm looking at a barracuda. And I know the barracuda's going, God, this is weird. What is this look, big red and black thing? I've never seen one of those before. That's weird. And he hung out with me for maybe a minute. It seemed like a long time, but it wasn't. And then he went, see ya. And he went home to his wife and he said, you know what I saw today? I saw this giant red and black thing. I've never seen one before, but I've been talking to God about it. And I've always wanted to see a giant red and black thing. I got to see a barracuda. Why does that matter? Did it change your life? No, but it changed mine because I asked God, could I see a barracuda? And I didn't see a barracuda in the murky depths 50 feet away. I saw a barracuda right here. Right here, I could count his teeth. It was so cool. Breathing God. Knowing God. Now let me tell you, these other people knew about God. And I'm going to warn you, there's people in this room today who know about God, but they don't know God. You know how to do church. I grew up knowing how to do church. First time I got shot at, I was 12. Let that sink in. What's the worst part of that statement? The first time I got shot at, indicating what? There were other times. Or I was 12. And yet I was in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I could recite the Bible verses and I could beat you at a, 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 what do they call those Bible drills? And I had attendance pins. And I was ornery and ugly inside because I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And my relationship with God was always a fight. I was never good enough. Because I didn't know God. I only knew about God. Then when I was 26 years old, 
I was introduced to God. And I told him, I don't know how to do things halfway. Didn't guess that about me, did you? I said, I don't know how to do things halfway. I'm either all in or I'm out. And so I started doing stuff differently. And I started talking to God. And I said, I don't know what you want from me. And he said, I'll show you. Read my word. And talk to me. And then I learned to walk with God. I learned to breathe with God. I learned to let God teach me how to pray. And tell me when to pray. And who to pray for on his timing. Not when I set my business appointment with him. So I ask you this morning. Have you gotten to that point with God? Are you still one of these people who knows about God? Oh, you may look religious. You may preach good. You may cast out demons. And you might do many mighty miracles. God says, don't matter if you don't know me. Do you know me? Well, I don't know how to do that, Brother Pat. All I know is what the church has taught me to do. Fair enough. Let's start with the simple, the basics. You know that God loves you, right? What is love? If you, can't, you, don't, if you, you, you don't know what it is if you can't define it. Love is acting in another's best interest. Let that sink in for a minute. Love is acting in another's best interest. Sometimes that means you don't do things for them. Sometimes that means you stop them from doing things. And sometimes that means you grace them. Give them things they don't deserve. But love is acting in another's best interest. And God acts in your best interest. And He loves you so much, John 3.16, that He what? He gave. What? Most precious thing He had. You know what else is cool about that? The first thing in the gospel is that God loves you. The second thing is He loves you just exactly the way you are. Not my words, His. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates His own love towards us in what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Brother Pat, you mean that, that, that God loves, uh, he loves, he loves sinners? <laughs> he better, he saved me. But that's not the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That's the truth that precedes the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's what? New creation. Remember I told you when we started this that lost people act like lost people because it's their nature. If God changes your nature, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What, do you sh- what should you act like? Not like your old nature. You can if you want. But you're different. You're changed. My wife and I have been married for 40 years. She was two when we got married. Um, When we first got married, our conversations were like this. What are you thinking? This is only funny if you know me. My brain never stops. Ever stops. Never. If you've ever watched the kickoff at the Super Bowl, all the flashbulbs going off at different times, that's my brain all the time. My wife has this blissful gift 
I ask her, what are you thinking? She goes, nothing. I can't do that. So we'd have to have conversations about our feelings, what she's doing, you know, are you mad at me, whatever, whatever. You know how we have conversations now? She can raise an eyebrow. And I'm going, I can't say that. Um, How'd that happen? 40 years of hanging out together. Having conversations every day. That's how we got there. How do you get there with God? Hang out with Him. Have conversations every day. Stop telling Him what to do. Start listening. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you can't enter into that conversation. All you can do is talk to God about your problems. But once He comes into your heart, you can, you'll start hearing Him listen. You'll start hearing Him talk to you through this word, through circumstance, through other people. But you've got to start learning to walk with God. Because only then will you transform that world out there. Until you let God transform you in here, you will never make a change out there. Noah was called to build a boat, not to be an evangelist. And he was faithful in building the boat. And you are here because he was faithful. Who will be here in the next generation because you were faithful out there? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and it is our opportunity to humble ourselves before you. Acknowledge who you are. We don't make you king. We don't make you Lord. You are those things. It is our responsibility to kneel before you and accept the truth of who you are. So this morning we humble ourselves in your presence. And with hearts full of gratitude overflowing for what you've done for us, we beg that you would just embrace us so that we could feel your presence. You would give us the opportunity to sit at your feet and listen to you and learn from you. That you would give us clarity of mind to understand your word and know how to build the boat you've put before us. We are so blessed to be called yours. Declared by you to be righteous and found before you blameless because of what you did to us. Man, we thank you for that. Now teach us to breathe you. Teach us to walk with you, to see you in the, the folly of chickens and, 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 and the glory of a sunrise. Teach us to emulate you, to be like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, before we go to the time of commitment or invitation...
I want to talk to you about your homework. <laughs> I feel like this church, you don't give homework in church. Why not? I know I'm not going to talk about the last seven days. Whatever you did in the last seven days, that's between you and God. I want to talk to you about the next seven days. Okay? Who are you? I want you to ask yourself scripturally in the next seven days, who are you? There's a passage in Ephesians chapter two that I for Ephesians chapter four that I want to read to you. It says, For you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. In the power of the Holy Spirit you were taught to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What do you want? What you want is heavily influenced by this. To be made new in, the atti- new in the attitude of your minds and listen. And to put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Stop letting people tell you that you're not able to do that. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And with God nothing is impossible. And the commandment of God is that I have been created to be like him. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6 that we are to walk as he walked. So this week, what I'd like you to do for your homework is I'd like you to just take a breath. Take all of your normal church stuff and set it aside. Get your cup of coffee out in the morning or the evening whenever you have time and sit down with God and say, how do I do that? Could you show me how to be like you? Could you show me how to be happy? Could you show me how to be so full of you that people are drawn to you? Could you do that for me, God? Change here first, and then we'll change out there.